Welcome to The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Hello, everyone. Let us know who you are, where you're coming in from. We'd love to see you in the chat. Icebreaker question. Cynthia, we'll start with you. First sales job. What were you doing? First sales job. I was a sales manager at a fast fashion store and I sold clothing. Dang, your first sales role was a, a manager, huh? Dang. Well, not a manager. Well, yeah, a store manager for a small start, but it's basically standing on your feet all day long, helping people find sizes and just pushing them to buy more. No call is no yeah, that's the worst part about retail. Uh, let us know in the chat. You guys got a bunch of people on. Let us know what was your first sales job. Kyle, what about you? It depends if you consider this a sales job, but I used to work at um, a burrito place called High Tech Burrito. I've always been in tech. And um, tech I got a <laughs> combo king for the most guacamole upsells. So I'll take it. $20 bonus. Let's go. Yes, I love it. Justin in the chat says Cutco. That's a good first one. My, my first job was going door to door selling house painting services. So first day of that, dude, getting doors slammed in your face, people answering the door in their robe and underwear, people being super pissed that you, you know, are interrupting their dinner. Yeah. Let us know in the chat. You guys will get started in like what 30 seconds here. What was your first sales job? Let us know. Oh, marketing manager at a nonprofit. That's, that's rough. The nonprofit stuff, the soliciting and the asking for donations can be super rough. Wedding dress sales, Amanda says, I feel like that could be like rewarding and stressful at the same time. I would kill it at wedding dress sales. You look great. Dude, Je Jesse sold ultimate chamois, a $5 sale. <laughs> well, at least he got the commission, dude. Yeah. What's the commission on chamois? Yeah, dude. Let us know. What was your commission, man? You got 18 cents per chamois. If I sold a bundle, I got an accelerator. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Oh, Taylor Duncan's in the house. What's up, Taylor? I used to work with Taylor. Uh, we're going to get started, everyone. Loving the engagement so far. Um, so we're going to talk cold outreach fundamentals today. We're going to analyze. Uh, we're going to talk about analysis, excuse me, from over 3 million cold calls. We'll talk a little bit more about that data and all that kind of stuff. Um, so thanks for checking out the sales show. This is a daily show they wanted me to remind you of. So like they got a podcast, they do these webinars, so make sure to check it out. Some good stuff. Um, in terms of where to, I already talked about that in terms of our speakers. Uh, so I'm super excited. Uh, this is the first time Cynthia that we've done something like this together. I got to meet you for the first time a couple of weeks ago. And Cynthia is the head of global sales and evangelism at Samara. Did I pronounced that correctly. Samara. Yeah. Great. So it's good to have you, Cynthia. Uh, Kyle, we've known each other for a while now. I was complimenting Kyle. I mean, look at it. Look at Kyle's background. I mean, that's all you need to know about Kyle right there. He's he's looking super professional. Just doing the Lord's work. He's doing, doing the Lord's work over there. Um, so Kyle runs a company called Boris. Um, I met Kyle originally. I read his book, uh, From Cold to Committed. And the kind of joke that I had with Kyle is like, I've recommended this book so many times to people, man. We should probably meet. We've never met each other. Um, but he works with a lot of companies and a lot of the data. Why don't we start with that, Kyle? Uh, our goal today, by the way, is we want to give you guys a really good high level overview on the state of cold calling. And I thought a really great way to kind of preface this conversation is, Kyle, you've accumulated just tons of data points. You want to talk to us like about the data, how you accumulated it, 
and you're a pretty data oriented person too. So maybe just talk about like why you decided to document all of this stuff. Cause I think it, it goes all the way back to even your experience as an SDR leader. Yeah. Well, really difficult. I learned about the data the hard way. Um, I was running a, a sales development team for an early stage, uh, kind of SaaS company based out of San Francisco. And I had no management experience. Also, I dropped out of college to do stand-up comedy. So I have like zero math experience. I, I failed every math class oh, I ever had. And what happened was uh, my team, we were like, we would do okay. Like some months, some months we wouldn't do all that great. And then like we hit this plateau and all of the executives at this startup were like Stanford grads. One one girl graduated what do they say, like cum laude or something when you like ace everything from Harvard, yeah. <laughs> you know, everything was like, everyone's super smart. And they were pushing me to be very data driven around why we had hit this plateau or plateau. And I had like, spent a bunch of time trying to do an analysis. I didn't even know how to create a pivot table. And long story short, I went to present to the executives and the board and one of my formulas was off. And so if you know anything about analysis, if you have a formula that's wrong, all of your math is wrong, which means nothing you're about to say next is correct. So um, that was super embarrassing for me. So I went through this journey, um, some would call it a pilgrimage, to learn how to use data to be really data-driven within the sales organization. And I've often said that sales should be one of the most, if not the most data-driven part of the organization and has huge impacts on the entire revenue function. So through that, I, I, you know, learned a lot about doing data analysis and now, you know, I, that's a big, big part of what I, what I do. And I've been tracking cold calls across both my time running teams, as well as, you know, I've worked with over 70 B2B software and service companies at this point and uh, tracking their performances as well. Uh, this is great. So I'm excited to dig into this and Cynthia's got just a ton of experience both as a practitioner and leader and leading a large organization. So um, we're going to get to talk about all of that kind of stuff, you guys. Uh, one thing I want to let you know, we do want to thank our sponsors, Apollo IO, Nooks, and Zaxley. There should be a little sponsorship drop if you want to check out Apollo. Should be putting that in the old chat for you, but want to thank you guys for helping make this show possible. So let's get into it. Uh, cold call challenges. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about tactics for overcoming buyer resistance to cold calls, how to use technology all that kind of stuff. Let's talk about success rates. So Cynthia, let's uh, kind of kick this first question your way. Um, before we get into the data, how do you think about measuring the success rate of, is this rep or is my team doing well? At the okay. It's, a it's actually one of my favorite questions ever because to me, the SDR or BDR role, SDRing or BDRing, as we'd like to call it, is a very black and white process, meaning it is a KPI-driven follow-the-process role. Like, obviously, it's an entry-level role sometimes because sometimes I've seen a lot of companies that are requiring people with more experience. But obviously, when you're an SDR, it's all about the metric. So obviously, one you do have to have metrics set in place. The more conversations you have, the more likely you're going to be reaching out to more people. Again, this doesn't apply to everybody out there because there are companies that target specific industries and the total addressable market sometimes is very small. But obviously, the more people you speak to, the more chances you get of putting your product or your company in front of them. Two, as I said, follow the process. There is a reason why plays or sequences exist in companies. That's either the follow-up 
that the call is followed by an email, it's followed by a LinkedIn connect, it's followed by another call, by a voicemail, and your entire sequence. So it's a very metrics, KPI-driven role, follow the process role. So when I measure performance, obviously numbers, if you're following your metrics day to day, and how many of those conversations are actually converting, because Sometimes you can get conversations and your pitch needs to be worked on. You're, you're using a, a permission opener that's not converting for you. And there's a lot of things that are going on. So for me, a rep's performance should be measured on one, again, metrics performance. And two, obviously, what is your outreach? How well are you, how well are your prospects responding? Because you can have the number. So let's say you're sending 100, 150 emails a day, but they're not getting good open rates. You're not getting any replays. So a rep's performance to me should be measured on that. Yes. So Kyle, before I get commentary on you, I want to throw a question to the audience. So a big thing, and you've mentioned this, Cynthia, a big thing you're going to talk about, Kyle, in a second is this ratio of live connected conversation to booked qualified meeting. Let us know in the chat what percentage of the live connected calls do you book a qualified meeting. So for example, if you did a hundred cold calls, how many of those calls would you convert into a qualified meeting? Let us know that answer into the chat. We'll get to see how you stack up here. Yeah. Brooke says one, Lori says zero. Sorry to hear that, Lori. That sounds like a lot of work. Hopefully we're going to be able to help you out today. Jules, you as well. So we got five to 10%. 30% you used to be 20 yeah, we're kind of all over the place. So Kyle, let's get into some of the kind of benchmark data. So I, I pulled kind of samples from a lot of different places here. On the left end, you have a data point from LinkedIn that is very similar to the data point from Gong. And when they pulled a lot of these companies, what they asked them was, what's the success rate of a connected cold call? And it was around 2%, dude. So if, if you're around one or 2%, I know it sucks, but you're actually doing about average. Kyle, we're going to talk about your data here in a second. Yours was 9.8%. Allego has some stats, and I've seen similar stuff in organizations. Theirs is around the top performers specifically when they look at that group. A top performer will typically convert 30% of their live conversations into a qualified meeting. Uh, so Kyle, when you've worked with organizations and if you were to comment on that data, Cynthia had mentioned this like metric of conversation to meetings. How do you think about that in terms of a benchmarking standpoint? How do you know what's good versus bad in an organization? Because stuff could be dependent upon industry. And how do you kind of think about tackling that problem? So it's very dependent on industry. That's one thing I'll highlight for everybody, the size of the company that you're working at, how much brand recognition they have if it's a very early stage company, but also how transactional is the sale? Are you targeting Fortune 500 companies or are you targeting smaller you know, uh, mom and pop shops in local areas? So it's going to vary on uh, based on the industry, the market, the product. There's a lot of variables that are involved here. And so when you look at these big spreads and you're like, oh, the benchmark should be whatever, uh, take that with a grain of salt. I prefer you to use your own data. And if you are on a team or if you run a team of three SDRs, let's say it's a smaller team, and they have done these activities. First of all, if you don't know what this number is for you, that's the first problem you need to solve. But once you have the number, what you're going to see is you're going to see what are some reps capable of that other reps are not achieving. And what are they doing different? 
And we can dive in, Jason, if you want to, into like the different levers that you have to pull. But at a high level, what I'd encourage everybody to do is take a look at the data, figure out what are you able to make real in your environment, in your market, at your company, targeting who you target, and then strive to make what is possible the norm. And then you're going to see another spike and go, okay, how do we climb to that percentage? So if right now you're converting on a live conversation to a meeting at 2%, but you have hit 5% before, let's make 5% our floor. And then you'll see a spike to 7% and let's figure out how we can work our way to that. And that's how I generally do this, but it has to be very data-driven and you need to let the data drive the decisions that you make on what levers to pull to improve their performance. So I think that's a really important lesson, like looking at this, especially if you have a large organization, um, I don't know, I find not to mention any of the specific vendors, but I find that the, the reporting for this can be a little tough to pull. There's a lot of like, here's the meetings that we set, but it's hard to kind of isolate by the channel specifically for phone. And then to give the uh, percentage of connected, you know, calls versus booked meetings. Um, let's talk about quickly just kind of troubleshooting this. So Cynthia, if you have a rep, let's say that has a low success rate of connected cold calls, is there anything you dig into deeper there to figure out what might be the issue outside of you're going to listen to recordings, obviously, but is there any other data around like maybe length of call? Um, well, obviously the start and the very beginning of every sales process prospecting, you need to take a look at the list before you even start listening to conversations. The number one thing that you should be on the lookout for is their list. Are they targeting the correct decision makers and are they using mobile phone numbers? Because I have had this in the past with reps. I start looking at their list. They're only calling headquarters. And sometimes that's all you get. But are you moving past gatekeepers? So step number one for me would be obviously looking at the list they're building. If they're list building, if not, you obviously need to have a conversation with your RevOps team or whoever is building the list for you to take a look. Because sometimes I see it with my team. We actually have a RevOps team that builds the lists out for them. There's weeks that the, all of the BDRs are complaining, the lists are bad this week, the lists are bad this week, connect rates are at an all-time low. So you obviously have to take a look at the list, first things first. Number two, call time. Obviously, some reps do not start calling early in the morning. They just decide to pick up the phone at 3 p.m. in the afternoon. You have to try and test calling at different times because sometimes people are going to pick up at 9 Sometimes people are going to pick up at 11. Sometimes people are going to pick up at 5. So you have to be trying out different call times. Obviously, it depends on the industry as well. But specifically for me with Saimera, we're testing out different call times because sometimes we're not going to get any connects in the morning. Then people start booking 20 meetings from 3 to 5 all of a sudden. So I think uh, that call times, lists, and then... Obviously, listening to the calls, what we just talked about, that's important. Why are people hanging up? What's going on? How is this rep pitching? Is he struggling? Uncomfortable silence. It says, I listen to calls every single day, just so that you guys know we actually have a live call tracker. That's something that I told Jason that we were doing. And it gives you the ability to give real-time coaching. Like, a rep just finished a call. It automatically loads into the tracker that we have. I listen to the call whenever I can. I'm like, you could have, the, the, the uncomfortable silence was different. You didn't talk about the key points that you're using. So the coaching side is extremely important, especially when you're working with BDRs. Like it's 
you have, must listen to the call. So those are the we're gonna, probably top three to four things I would do. So we're definitely going to talk co- coaching. I have some stats that I pulled on this. So there's this kind of concept. We, we all talked about this when we we're prepping of the list is the strategy. And if you have low conversion rates, even if you're in an org right now that has like assigned accounts or they're named accounts that people are going after, are they contacting the right people at those accounts? To your point, Cynthia, are they contacting direct mobile phone numbers, right? So I think there's a lot in that number. If a rep is not converting, look at the list first. And we're going to keep moving to you guys because we got a lot of stuff to cover. I want to I want to talk about... Um, here, let me open this up real quick. There's, I think, a couple of different components of like connected calls. And where I'm kind of going with this... And what we're sort of alluding to is the success rate is a combination of the rep's skills plus the quality of the list. Let's talk about pickup rates. I think this is the number one challenge that people have when they're like talking about what the, you know, if cold calling is even a worthwhile activity. For most people, it's not, does it work when I get someone on the phone? It's, is this going to be a complete freaking waste of time because I'll call for an hour and not talk with anyone? So let's look at the data real quick, and then I want to get your guys' take on this. Oh, there we go. I'm all over the place here. Um, cold calling pickup rates. So Kyle, do you want to talk a little bit about this? Uh, I think there might have been some data from Ryan on this, but the yeah. average pickup rate, and I can kind of comment on some of this stuff, but what did you look at with the data around pickup rates? What were some of the findings? Yeah, so we we have a lot of it up here. I will share uh, Ryan Reisert. He's the owner of Phone Ready Leads, um, friend of mine. He had done an analysis on different phone numbers and the pickup rates for those phone numbers. So that's the percentage that a person answers a phone, right? And what he actually found, which was shocking to me, between calling a company's main line, calling a direct company line, so somebody's direct line, but housed by the company, and then their mobile phone number, it was actually the direct phone line that had the highest kind of first time dial to connect rate. And if I remember right, his average was around 6%. Um, total between all of the, if you just call a random phone number um, for the first time, this is by far the biggest challenge with cold calling. But one thing I want to highlight here is doing outbound prospecting is inefficient. So I feel like sometimes we get caught up in trying to make it the most efficient it possibly can. It's still not going to work most of the time. You're still going to have an under 50% dial to connect rate. You're still going to have an under 50%, you know, most cases connect to meeting scheduled rate. So you have to be comfortable that we're not going to have pure efficiency here and we're really fighting for a percentage point. So I can talk about these numbers here and generally what I see is 5% is around the average that I've seen of um, if you just call a cold list, the percentage of people who pick up the phone, then um, around, you know, getting up to the nine to the 10% is really where you're striving to be. If you can be in like seven to 10, like you're in pretty good shape, anything over 10, I'm, I'm pretty happy with. And uh, these are just the numbers that I've seen uh, through our calling. So the 6.8% average pickup rate, the manual verification, I'll add some commentary on. This is if you're using something like Ryan's phone ready leads, where they'll have a team of people kind of manually verify leads of people to pick up. The pickup rate tends to be around 15% for that. And there are some tools out there too that kind of automate that function as well. But you have some benchmarks there on the right, you guys. Let, Let me know in the chat, what is your cold call pickup rate? Give us that answer in the chat. Love to see where we're at. And then we're going to share some tips on how to increase pickup rates as well. So I'll kind of drop these and I would love 
some feedback from you two on other stuff that you might consider doing. Um, I think that one of the big things is, and what I've seen working with teams is there is this longstanding belief that it's not good to call on Mondays and Fridays because prospects are back-to-back meetings on Mondays and Fridays. They're going to be super grumpy because of a long week. And oftentimes the highest pickup rates are Friday afternoons and first thing Monday morning. Uh, calling cell phones like we talked about, calling five minutes before or after the end of the hour if it's an executive you're trying to get a hold of, calling prospects that open up emails, uh, running a report like this in your sales engagement tool to show you across the org when is the pickup rate the highest. So Cynthia, anything that you do in your org to kind of maximize pickup rate because there's a data component to it. And then Kyle, as you like to say, there's a workflow component too. There are things that the rep can do to increase pickup rates. Cynthia, anything come to mind for you when you're you're thinking about pickup rates and ways that people can optimize? I think that it is always a good time to call, as you said. I don't believe in anything that you shouldn't call on Fridays because, like I said, there is no correct time to call. You're always interrupting people's days. Even if you call at 9, 10, 11, 12, whatever time, you're always going to be interrupting somebody's days. So, for example, what you said is true. When my rep, sometimes they they start, like, we've had a bad week, and then suddenly I do a power hour on Fridays, Friday afternoon, 10, 12 meetings get booked on a Friday afternoon. What reps obviously should be careful with is obviously you don't want to set the meeting for a Monday morning, you know, especially on the long weekend, people forget, holidays, whatever. But it is never, I'm going to change it, a good time to call because you're always interrupting people say so it's all about picking the phone and not being afraid to call like you're going to get a ton of rejection obviously when you're cold calling it's the number one channel where you're going to get to speak to most people it's something that i evangelize on my linkedin and i say that to reps but you should pick up the phone period that's it you should try different call times you should try friday afternoons friday mornings like you can switch schedules around and then you obviously need to create call blocks, especially if you're an SDR or a BDR. It's 90% of your day is calling, especially if your total addressable market is big and you have a ton of people to call. So I, I think just let the data, to your point, let the data tell you what works. Try to exactly. remove emotion from it, what you think might work. Uh, Kyle, anything else that we haven't talked about from a pickup rate standpoint that when you're working with reps or organizations that you help them optimize? Yeah, totally. Um, so the first thing here is the list is going to be one of the biggest levers to pull. And there's a couple of things I'll highlight about the list that are really important. What a lot of folks do, actually, let me take a step back. SDRs should not be creating their own lists. And there is some nuance there. In some cases, it makes sense. In the vast majority of cases, having the SDR sit down and create their own list is a complete waste of time. The list is a company asset. It's one of the most important assets that you have as an organization that does outbound. It is irresponsible to have SDRs creating their own list. And that's something I'm pretty passionate about. And one of the main reasons why I'm passionate about this is because you have to be strategic with how you're managing the list to drive up connect rates over time your connect rate should be improving. Why? Because you're categorizing leads as you're calling through it. So just to get real actionable for a second here, SDR calls a whole bunch of leads. 
based on the call outcome, we should be bucketing those leads in different lead statuses. So if we connected with somebody but didn't book a meeting, they should get marked in a lead status called connected. And now you know this is somebody who answers the phone. Guess what? If somebody answered the phone to an unknown number, odds are they answer phones to unknown numbers. So if you call them again, you're going to have a higher connect rate with that person. As you you do this with your team for a long enough period of time, you then have your entire market that's in your CRM. I call it the contactable, serviceable, addressable market to get wordy. But when you have all of that completely organized based on they answer the phone, they haven't answered the phone, we've never called these people before, they booked the meeting, then you can prioritize your calling based on that, which drives up your connect rates. So I think list management is the biggest lever to pull. You can do other stuff too, but if we're not pulling that lever, then you're going to feel like you're on this hamster wheel over and over and over again. Dude, list hygiene. This is something, if there's sales leaders or ops or enablement folks on this call, setting up those dispositions and call statuses and having a culture where we mark wrong numbers correctly too. I can't tell you, like, think about the dozens or hundreds of times that there's a contact in sitting in Salesforce with the wrong phone number and they just get dialed dozens of times over the years. Right? It's such a massive waste of time. Um, by the way, number three, you guys should say call five between uh, five minutes between before or after the top of the hour. So you're trying to catch people between meetings. Um, you got to keep hustling. You sort of answered this question. Cynthia, what's your take? Should reps build their own list? I agree. Could not agree more with what he said, with what Kyle said, because I'm, I'm doing exactly the same. Uh, in the past, our BDRs used to build their own list. It only creates chaos with people saying, oh, the leads are taken. Uh, you're opening the door for, for a lot of excuses. And again, um, I love SDRs. Everybody that's listening, I love every single BDR. My world is BDRs and SDRs. But I believe that reps should have so much freedom on who to reach out to and who to call. That's why you need to create targeted lists of people they should talk to. If not, I've seen it in my team. We're going to get people calling Cardone organization, trying to talk to Grant Cardone, trying to look no. greetings with you don't need that. Yeah. We were choking about that, Kyle, the other day about Grant yeah. Cardone. Just, dude, you, you don't want to take that approach, you guys. And then we don't have time to it, talk. Exactly. So uh, <laughs> voicemails, let's talk about what the data supports. Should you leave them? Uh, let us know in the chat when you are cold calling, what percentage of the time will you leave a voicemail? Let us know that number in the chat. Cold calls specifically, what percentage of the time will you leave voicemails? We've got a well-trained audience here. A lot of a lot of people are leaving voicemails at least half of the time. So what's the data show us on voicemails? Uh, one, the subsequent pickup rate. So in other words, the second, third, fourth time that you call a prospect, the odds of getting a hold of them increases by 25% if you leave a voicemail. So should you leave the voicemail? Yes, we should talk about what to do in that voicemail. I'm a really big proponent of doing the low friction ask in the voicemail of not having the person call you back, like not asking for Kyle to call me back or Cynthia to call me back. Saying, hey, I just sent you an email. The subject line is X, Y, Z go check out the email that I mentioned and I can give you guys kind of a script. I like to just like attention grabber before I introduce myself, social proof, and then a quick call to action. Uh, hey, Cynthia, was giving you a call. Notice that you're hiring a bunch of SDRs right now. We recently helped Gong and Medallia cut down their SDR ramp time by X amount of days or X amount of months. 
thought that would be helpful. I sent you an email. Subject line is SDR ramp time. Go ahead and check that out. It's Jason with Outbound Squad. So super short, 20, 30-ish seconds. I'm going to point the prospect to something outside of their phone because they're already going to open up the voicemail and watch the transcripts and all of that kind of stuff. And one last comment I'll have, and I'll open it up. Kyle and Cynthia, what percentage of your voicemails that you get on your phone will you at least click on to look at the transcript? Like, what's the open rate? Zero for me. Zero. You don't open. You don't open any voicemail from an unknown. No, if it's in really? print, they'll talk to my EA or text me. Yeah. Same. Yeah, what about you? I never listen to my voicemails. I only look at my text. I think that the purpose of a voicemail obviously is a part of your sequence for familiarity, but do not expect a callback number. Like, you know what? everybody looks at texts. I rarely listen to my voicemails. What's funny is... I've, I am literally the exact opposite. I don't listen to every voicemail, but I click on every single one of them. How do you, what if the doctor's trying to get hold of you? They'll find me. <laughs> yeah. I'll make you a side of the road and like, will email me or there's yeah. portal. I, and I'm yeah. an old fashioned person. My reminders are all tracked in my agenda and my 100 yes. Chrome tabs. To be so, fair, Jason, I've missed stuff before not checking my voicemail. Yeah, yeah. I'm not hey. saying this is good, yeah. but yeah, <laughs> I just don't. The open rate on voicemails across the industry is somewhere north of 90%, actually. That doesn't mean that people listen to the entire voicemail. But Kyle and I are just the 10% that don't yeah, pick up. Voicemail is probably your best opportunity to guarantee that someone will at least give you a shot. Because when you call five to 10% of the time, you're going to get a pickup. So that means 90% of the time, people are never going to pick, like even listen to you. Point being, most people are looking at a transcription of your voicemail here. So keep in mind that people are probably reading it. It's a good idea to leave voicemails at least half the time. Um, and we got to keep cooking you guys. We're, uh, we're, we're about to run up on time here in 10 or 15 minutes. Let's talk about calling. How long the typical cold call uh, should last. Um, I think this is a great way to measure what a person is actually struggling with. And Kyle, you brought this up several years ago when we talked, and I thought this was a great metric. It's something I used to pull from call centers, actually, where when we were working in the call center, it was, let's look at the best reps and how long the calls tend to last and compare that to the worst reps. And it was usually very obvious, like what that sweet spot was. And I think there's a, a really good exercise here. And if a rep, because the average cold call lasts about 80 seconds, according to Chorus, if a rep's average length of connected call is less than a minute, minute and a half, what do you guys think that they're probably having challenges with that you would want to work with them on? How would you use that as a coaching opportunity? Well, they're struggling with the intro, most likely. Yeah. So it's like with that rep, all we need to focus on in the coaching is, dude, what does that first 30 seconds sound like? Are you effectively engaging the prospect or not? Um, are you guys fans of like permission-based openers? How do you how do you guys coach and recommend? I'm a big fan of permission-based openers. Um, I think you have to test everything though, first of all. So then I've tested this out quite a bit. And um, in my experience, permission-based openers work better um, than they don't, but I have seen situations where they don't. Um, and, and then you break up the cold call. So this is something I've done where I'll give an SDR sheet um, that I have that, that's like a spreadsheet where it breaks down the cold call into a couple of different parts. There's the intro, 
then there's um, the conversation, then there's the ask for the meeting, and then there's if a meeting got booked or not. And, it, and it's a super simple spreadsheet, right? Just those four or five things. And what you do is you track how many of all the calls that you have, when they answer the phone, how many times do you get through the intro? And then how many times did you actually have a conversation? And then how many times did you actually verbally ask for the meeting? And then how many times did they say, yes, Ben actually booked that meeting? And if you look at that over the course of a week or two, you'll see where you're struggling. If you are saying your intro and not getting into a conversation, your intro is the problem. If you're having conversations, but you're not asking for a meeting, you're the problem. You need to figure out how to ask for a meeting or when the transitions are asking for a meeting. If you're asking for a meeting and they're not booking, you know, then you know either your ask isn't good or you're not doing a good enough job in the conversation to find out the justification for meeting. So it kind of gives you that clarity, but that's what you need to look at, in my opinion, is to have a real good understanding of where you're struggling within the call. As a baseline, where would you guys start in terms of if a person has not done a permission-based opener as a baseline, what would you guys teach? I am going to jump in here because Kyle and I only met last week, but my reps and I started using his golden call script Oh, cool. Because, yeah, I'm excited because literally it fit like a glove because we changed our rep script last week because we need to focus on what the, like, we're, we're changing. So, obviously, half of my reps were struggling to pivot to the new script. And basically, what we were teaching them is exactly what. Kyle has on his golden call rule, which is actually the first step is a permission-based opener. And when people think about permission-based openers, they think that the permission-based opener is like normally like, hi, Kyle, this is Cynthia. Can I have 30 seconds of your time? It doesn't have to be that. Your permission-based opener can be like, hi, Kyle, how's it going? And then it pivots to like, after they say, great, whatever, you're going to go like, yeah, so I'm calling you from XYZ company and this is what we do. Then you talk about social proof. Does this make sense? Is it something that you would be interested in exploring and add a little bit of information with a question right there at the end? And that becomes your permission-based opener. And just that helped my entire team pivot to the new, to the new script because they were struggling with it normally. Like I said, people think that and I have 30 seconds of your time is the only permission-based opener that you should have versus what Kyle taught us that you can use like your normal greeting, like, how's it going? And then just add a permission. Does it make sense or not? So we love yeah, that, Kyle. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's cool to hear. I'd love to see your, the numbers um, after you guys have used the script for a little bit. And just take 30 seconds here to walk you through what that intro is. Um, I always start by saying, hey, this guy, how's it going? I, that's controversial. I get it. It works for me. I've tested this a lot. It doesn't really matter. I think it, what matters most is what you're most comfortable with. Less so if you said, how are you versus not saying, how are you? I think we're splitting hairs here, but I'll say, how's it going? They'll say, good. Uh, why you're calling? I'll say, hey, I'm giving you a call from company name. We help organizations solve X problem. Not sure if it makes sense for us to have a conversation, but I thought it was worth a quick call. Do you mind if I ask you a few questions and let you decide if we should talk? They say yes to that. Then I'm saying, all right, well, great. Well, normally when I speak to title, they tell me they struggle with one or two things. Struggle number one, struggle number two. Curious, which one of those resonates most with you? That's it. And I've had a lot of success with that. And I've used that script with very few tweaks for probably seven years now. I'm going to drop the, uh, I don't think I can actually drop this in. If I could get folks from the Sell Better crew to help me, I just blocked in a, just dropped in a link to that script. Oh. So um, 
I think scripts, like one of the, th- or openers, excuse me, what's super important is you comment on this, Kyle. It's what you're comfortable with because that dictates tonality and confidence or everything in that first 30 seconds. Do you sound like a peer or do you sound like a telemarketer? Yeah. And Can I like do something I, real quick, Jason? Yeah, sure. Okay. I want to do something with the whole audience. So everybody here, stop multitasking, just focus. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to have a big smile on your face and say, hey, this is Kyle calling from company name. How are you? Okay. So same thing. Hey, this is your name calling from company. How are you? Say that. Now I want you to be really sad, hunch your shoulders, frown, make yourself really sad and, and not happy. And I want you to try to deliver that why with the exact same energy. So you're going to go, I mean, I, you can't even do it, by the way, which is the whole point. <laughs> like, hey, you can't do it. It's like impossible to do. And that's something that I think is really important for everyone to realize here. And maybe this is there's some body mind connection here that I'm also referencing, but you have to feel confident what you're saying. You have to have your shoulders back. You have to be excited. If you're not enthusiastic, why the hell should they be? So think about this next time you go to cold call, you can't kind of execute a line if you're not confident in it and you're not showing that confidence as well. Anyway, just a sidebar. Dude, standing up. This is the number one tip I have for this if you're not doing it already. And then you know, smiling, right, is another big one. But dude, standing up, your energy is just so much different than sitting down. Yeah. Um. So yeah, check out Kyle's script. There's a bunch of good stuff there. Let's kind of segue into a couple of other things that I want to make sure that we talk about because there's a big portion of people here on the call that are sales leaders. And I think we should talk about call coaching because there's a, a big component of this that is getting feedback and then practicing. So here's the data. This is from Revenue IO. They asked, how often do you receive coaching and feedback? 38% of reps reported that coaching occurs infrequently. I'm surprised it's actually that low. Or uh, yeah, I'm surprised it's that low. Um, 49.8% of reps report only receiving one hour or less of coaching per week. That sounds about right to me. So the coaching there, the graph, what you're seeing is the satisfaction level with the coaching in a one-on-one meeting versus Slack versus email versus group coaching. I would say the predominant coaching, if it is even happening, I find a lot with call coaching is like a few little messages here and there in the conversational intelligence tool or a Slack message. It isn't like an actual breakdown. So uh, Kyle, we'll kick this question your way first. Call coaching, what's the responsibility of the organization to facilitate the coaching? And maybe the responsibility of the rep too, because it goes both ways, you know, for sure. But what does that coaching cadence, what does that ideal coaching cadence look like? What's your manager doing if they're not coaching? This is what it comes at the end of the day. It drives me absolutely bananas that you don't have a manager literally listening to every call that's happening as it's happening, spending 70, 80, 90% of their time just focused on coaching. And I get smaller organizations that that manager might also need to do a lot of data stuff, or maybe they're cleaning Salesforce sometimes, give them 30% of their time to do admin stuff. But what did you hire a manager for? To walk around, do meetings? No, you hire them to coach your reps. It's their number one responsibility. It's the only thing that they really should be focused on other than looking at the data to determine where they should be coaching each rep to help them improve their performance. Otherwise, don't have a manager. So anyway, seeing stuff like this really grinds my gears because I think it's ridiculous 
that we hire managers to manage salespeople, and then they're not delivering the number one biggest responsibility they have, which is enabling those people to perform better at their job. So that's how I feel about it, Jason. Just a small emotion, non-emotional response. Yeah. Tell us how you really feel about it. Dude. Right, right. Cynthia, what about you? How do you guys think Preach. about call coaching? Rage to what Kyle said. 50% time is spent, FYI, listening to cold calls from my reps. And it goes both ways. I send them the call link and this is, you could have done this. You missed out on the pitch, blah, blah, blah. I do that all day long. I'm, I'm doing it right now, except that I stopped to, for this webinar. And coaching is not only listening to the calls, but it's actually doing role plays with your team. We actually have a weekly role play where everybody plays prospect, then you get to pick the next person you're calling. So role playing is also a, a, for, a form of coaching because you get to do mock scenarios uh, when, wherever the objections, rebuttals, everything that might go on in an ideal conversation, or you can also play mean prospect, everything that can go wrong in a conversation. And, and number three, which is one of the big ones, it's shadowing, reverse shadowing and shadowing the rep. Because one thing that my team loves, which I just started doing again, is listening to me call. And you should see their faces when I book a meeting. Everybody goes wild. And everybody's like, oh my God, how did you do that? So reverse shadowing is great because reps get to listen to you call and then you can actually listen to them call in real time. And just after that call, pause, like you could have done this, you could have done that or actually help them book meeting. So three things. Get in the pit. Get in the pit. I think that's one the of trenches. the trenches. This is what Kyle does yeah. every day. We're in the trenches. Yep. Get in the pit, rub shoulders, like lead from the front. It's one of the lessons I was taught as a sales manager actually was... You know, you're not, because you are not participating in this activity, your reps are not participating. They're not doing it, you know? And it's, um, we, oh yeah, totally. I, I think the energy, you know, using like a Nux, for example, you can create a virtual call floor where you can replicate a lot of what you would do in person. Um, okay, we got one more point I want to hit on. You guys already started talking about this is the facilitation. What is the role of the organization in facilitating the activity? Cynthia, you mentioned weekly role plays. I get to really good. It's like having that one team meeting each week or more where we role play through specific scenarios and like people get to practice. My honest assessment of companies and their reps is that the practice outside of the maybe top 10% of reps does not happen outside of the team facilitated stuff. The other thing that I would have mentioned, I call them get shit done sessions. The very successful orgs that I've seen, they have structured time, especially for account executives, where one or two hours a week or more for BDRs, it's a time where the entire org gets on either a Zoom call and they put themselves on mute, but they're like, they're doing the activity together. And you can structure these to be more than just calling. You could do all kinds of stuff, but facilitating the activity is super important. I'll kind of open it up to the both of you. What are other ideas that you guys have or what responsibility do you feel like the the org has in facilitating some of the activity to a group workout style almost? I, I think that especially if you're not a big org, there's a ton of free resources. Like people post about it all the time on LinkedIn, like book club. You can actually just pick a sales book and you start reading chapters from it, discuss it every week, the weekly role play. You, I mean, 
Objections and rebuttal forces can be found online for free. Cognizant has a lot of great, they, they launch it every year where, where you can actually find like the 20, uh, cold call of rejections and rebuttals of 2024. So there's a lot of free resources online that any manager or org can find. And probably the biggest responsibility for an org is build a playbook for your reps. And because especially new reps that come into the organization need a resource that they can go back to and study. I like to call it the BDR book of knowledge. I have every single org I've been to, I've created my own little BDR book of knowledge for the BDRs with everything Cimera related on the pitches, the product, how to book a meeting. So you book the meeting. These are the next steps. What if your prospect doesn't show up? This is what you should do. What if you're doing everything your manager said and you're still not booking meetings? This is what you should also do. So it's like your little Bible book where you can actually dive in and read and learn more. It's so I can go into a whole hour conversation about this, but those are my favorites. Love it. And before we take off, Kyle. Yeah, it's the main responsibility, right? Um, look, if you're even if you're an earlier company, what I sometimes see is uh, folks will hire BDRs and they'll feel like, oh, great, I got out of the prospecting part of this, or that now I'm like sort of out. I've given other people the responsibility of generate meetings. And what I always tell you is actually that's when you begin. The second you add people to your organization that have a responsibility to generate pipeline, one of the most important activities of the organization, then you need to really go all in and support those people and then systematize that process. Uh, so yeah, it's the main responsibility, I think. Love it. Uh, that's all we got time for today. You guys, um, that was awesome. There's a lot of, hopefully you guys got a lot of takeaways, uh, mostly data supported takeaways. Don't forget to connect with the cell better crew on all of their channels. We dropped some uh, links in the chat. Let's blow up, uh, Kyle's and Cynthia's LinkedIn, uh, profiles, give them a follow for more content. And, uh, that's all I got for you guys today. Cynthia, Kyle, uh, thank you for spending time with us and everyone else. Thank you. I'm uh, there on LinkedIn. And they're on LinkedIn for everybody that I'm on. I'll respond to my DMs. So more than happy to help anybody out that needs help. Thank you. It was amazing. Yeah. Thanks for having me. It was a lot of fun. Later, everyone. See ya. Have a good one. Bye. Bye.